Hello, and welcome to Friends for Life, a podcast of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod's Life Ministry. We're sharing the stories and insights of real people living out God's love for the people He's created. We hope you'll stick around and be our friends for life. Thanks so much for joining us. I'm your host, Stephanie Jabauer. In episode 18, Tiffany and I sat down with Kristen Gregory to talk about miscarriage and infant loss. She was so gracious to share her story with us, and that, of course, from her own perspective as a mother and as a wife. With a topic like miscarriage, our minds automatically go to the mother, what she must be feeling, her physical and emotional pain, how she'll carry this loss for the rest of her life. We're quick to think of miscarriage as a women's issue, but if we stop to consider it, the loss of a child, no matter the age or stage of prenatal development, affects both the mother and the father. Here to share about this from a father's perspective and from a pastoral perspective is Pastor Caleb Waite. Caleb, welcome. Would you please introduce yourself? Uh, yeah, thanks for having me. I'm Caleb Waite. I serve as associate pastor in Hermantown, Minnesota, which if you don't know where Hermantown is, it's right next to Duluth, which is on uh, Lake Superior. And so that's where I've been serving for uh, just over six months now. I've gotten here recently. And yeah, I've moved here from Iowa where I was serving my former parish and moved here with my wife, Kara. Uh, we have three kids. They're four, almost two, and three months old. And uh, yeah, they, we've moved up here and, and we've had a whole lot going on. We also have three that rest in the arms of Christ. And so they've kind of come in a, in a weird way, it seems, kind of a pattern way, which we'll talk about in a little bit. But yeah, we, we love being in Minnesota. You know, I, I enjoy things like like cooking and spending time with our family and kind of the lake life that Minnesota's famous for and hockey, which is a huge thing up here. So we like hockey a lot too. But yeah, that's that's kind of where I'm coming from right now. Uh, well, Pastor Caleb, as you've asked me to call you, I of course have you on because you are a father and you are a pastor, but you've also been through and are currently journeying through this experience of miscarriage and the grief over miscarriages that you and your wife have experienced. Can you tell us a little bit about your story? Yeah. Miscarriage at one point was an extremely foreign concept to me. Um, but yeah, so my wife and I have kind of a complex history of having kids. It's something we always wanted to do. Um, we've been married eight years and we got married right after I graduated college, well, before I graduated college. And then we went to seminary. The seminary, we didn't have kids yet, but as almost all seminarians do that are married, we kind of like, ah, oh, maybe this is the time we start a family. And so we did, we decided like second year, I think, to set out to start a family. And, and you never think it's going to be hard, right? You never think it's going to be Difficult. You kind of just think like, yeah, you're going to have kids, right? And so for us, it started with kind of a really long period of waiting. We set out to have kids and, and I think it took about a year for us to actually get pregnant. And then we did. It was towards the end of our second year. I still remember Kara came into the, she like woke me up from, from a deep slumber. So I was like startled. Uh, and she's like, does this look like two lines to you? And I was like, wow. I mean, yeah, it does. And it took me a moment to like process fully what was happening. But then after that, it kind of progressed along and, and she did all the doctor's appointments and things and things just weren't right. Now, the doctors kind of told us that they were probably fine, but we had this kind of feeling that you just kind of have like there's something wrong here. And, and she was having some symptoms. Sure enough, days before we moved to go on Vicarage, we found out that she had a miscarriage. Um, and I remember that while we were loading the truck, she had to go in to the hospital because they thought she might have an ectopic pregnancy, which thankfully she didn't. So all of this was happening 
you know, at that time. Um, and that was our first miscarriage, uh, our first child. And then, you know, while in Vicarage, we got pregnant again and had our first baby, Nora, who's now four. We had her while we were in seminary. And then when we got to our first call, we got pregnant again, which was great. But then shortly after, kind of right around like Thanksgiving time, I think, we found out that we had another miscarriage again, which broke our hearts, obviously. And then we realized, okay, now this is becoming a thing, right? Like, you know, one miscarriage, they say, is kind of just like a coincidence. Second miscarriage, they start to say, okay, this is kind of still kind of a coincidence, but now we have to kind of watch for things. But then after that, got pregnant again and uh, had Henry, who's a wonderful little aggressive boy who's almost two now. And then after that, we got pregnant again the next year. And right before Christmas, probably about a couple of weeks before Christmas, uh, we found out we miscarried again. And that one was particularly hard. And maybe it was just the time of year, but that one was just particularly difficult. And so now we have a pattern, right, of miscarriage, child, miscarriage, child, miscarriage. And then a couple months later, God saw fit to bless us with another child. And uh, we actually just had Ellie three months ago. So we have three in heaven and three here with us. It's been kind of one of those things where it's just strange because Kara, <laughs> we kind of joke about it now because we've processed through these things, but Kara has been pregnant for like six years in succession, which is pretty crazy, actually. And so that's kind of our story. But but this miscarriage thing, the reason it matters to me so much is because we never really heard about this thing until we had the first one. And then all of a sudden, all of these women started to reach out to us saying, Oh, you know, I had miscarriages or I had one or I had a few or I've had three or and, and I, it kind of just boggled my mind that all of these people have had this experience. And why haven't I heard about this? And to me, that actually seemed very backwards and wrong that like this, this thing that just does just kind of goes unsaid because I saw the amount of grief it brought, first of all, to Kara, the amount of grief that it, it brought to me. And it's like people just don't really say anything. And I think that's bizarre. So I've kind of just set it out to be kind of one of my goals (laughs) in ministry is to not just ignore it and to talk about it and to actually be open about it. And I will plug Concordia Seminary in St. Louis. I don't know if Fort Wayne does it or not, just because I went to St. Louis. I know that they do, or at least they started to do a service of infant and pregnancy loss. And I mean, that was beautiful. And that's a really good first step of saying, let's acknowledge that there's real grief here. There's real death here. Um, there's real pain and suffering. And oh, yeah, by the way, uh, the gospel is for you, too. So that's kind of our story of why I care about it so much is because, well, it's greatly impacted our life. I and mean, it still does to this day. There are some statistics that are one in four or as high as one in three pregnancies result in miscarriage. So a loss. And that's a staggering statistic. And so then you can imagine as a friend, as a pastor over your flock at church, someone sitting next to you in the pew, there's a pretty high chance that someone that you interact with on any given day has experienced this or has been touched by this in their own lives. Mm-hmm. Thank you for being willing to talk about this and for recognizing that this is a, a point of pastoral care and also care that Christians need to be aware of for others around them. As I had said, we had talked to Kristen Gregory in episode 18 From her own perspective, and of course, she's a mom, she's a wife, and now we get to hear from you. Caleb, what do you think is unique about the pain and the grief associated with miscarriage of 
losing a baby before they're even born, that would be different from the grief or the pain that's experienced over losing a loved one who's lived a, a more full life? Well, I think the obvious thing is, is to start is that there isn't really the, I don't want to call it the pomp and circumstance, but kind of that, you know, part of us being up here, I kind of alluded to it earlier, you know, was my grandpa passed away a couple months ago and, and then Kara's grandma passed away a month after he did. So we've kind of been swimming in this world of like full long lives that have kind of ended and it's really a beautiful kind of a thing. You know, we, my grandpa passed away having gotten to see all of his grandkids, some of his great grandkids, and same with Kara's grandma. And it's kind of this process where you get to kind of grieve. But at, you know, at the end of a long life like that, there is also this sense of peace. And, and there's still grief. It's still There's still pain. Death is still difficult. But there's also this kind of like, well, they live this long, great life. And there's this confidence in Christ, at least you know, from our perspective, there was. And the, the thing about miscarriage, first of all, it is a baby. It's a, it's a real life that has a, a heart that beats. And so especially to parents, that is a that is your child. And yet it's still kind of this hope and dream, right, that has not yet come to fruition, which kind of sounds like a weird way to put it, but it's kind of true. I still remember when, when Kara was first pregnant, we, we started making all these plans. You start to say, oh, we need to get this stuff. You start to make the baby registry. You, you tell your you tell your parents. I still remember we bought, and we didn't know if it was a boy or, or a girl. Uh, we waited to find out the genders um, when they were born. But we bought little pacifiers, I think, with mustaches on them or something. It was, it was the mustache phase. We gave them to our parents, like, I must ask you a question or something like that. And so we have all <laughs> these things. Uh, yeah, it was as corny as it sounds. but um, But you do all these things that are very much you don't expect anything to go wrong you expect that it's all going to be okay and so you start to plan for the future that you that this thing you've created this baby you've created and all of a sudden it's just gone and it, and it doesn't get the recognition of, of of a human life a lot of times people don't know what to say to you which is something we experienced you don't get a funeral which I think is changing now a little bit more as people start to kind of come out with about this. They're starting to actually maybe put names to the child, give them a child, them a name, even some of them burying the remains. But a lot of the times that doesn't happen. And so a lot of the times it's this thing where you kind of just are left there in a void of what something that was hoped for that has been lost and you don't know what to do. And so I think that grief is just different. It's just different. Yeah, I don't like you know have a reason. It's just kind of this like I didn't get this time with this child, and yet this child was still a child to me. And so I think that grief is kind of the hurt. And then for us, because we hadn't had kids yet at the, especially with our first one, it was the great unknown. Right? Are we going to be able to have kids? Is God going to give us that? Is there something deeper going on medically with Kara or or myself? So it brings up a whole web of fears and trying to process it all at, at one time and and it's just yeah it's just a bizarre thing and there is very little closure you know I, I still remember on all three circumstances the doctors telling us you have a miscarriage and it's kind of like the next question isn't really about grief it's about how do we take care of this problem you know and then they go into the things like how do you want to pass the you know in their words the fetus but the baby right um how, how do you want to deal with it do you want to do it naturally do you want to have DNC, all those things. And so you're sitting there having just kind of had your world crushed and now you have to make this decision. <laughs> what do I do and what's right? What's wrong? Is there a right? Is there a wrong? Yeah. 
it's a lot, right? <laughs> so um, I think that's kind of the difference of it is like you kind of do these things on your own because it doesn't get treated the same way that death gets treated of someone who's lived a life. And I don't, I don't mean to surmise, but from my perspective, my first question I feel would be what happened? And with miscarriage, especially early miscarriage, when you're earlier in your pregnancy, you rarely know why. Why a life was developing but then stopped. Why a heart was beating but then stopped. And so what you had said in in the doctor's office, the doctors are making you choose how to answer this question of, yes, how would you like to proceed with your body handling this naturally or with what you mentioned, a, a DNC, which is just a medical procedure to remove the baby, the miscarriage, the remaining fetal parts. But that's not your first question, I wouldn't think. Your first question, I would think, is, well, how do I care for my my wife? What's going on? What happened? And those questions are rarely answered. Yeah. And, and, and honestly, it seems that there isn't an answer, <laughs> um, at least not one that's immediate. It's kind of like, well, this kind of just happens sometimes. And they kind of try to give you like an answer of like, well, you know, there was something, maybe there was a, a genetic abnormality or they kind of, it's kind of a vague answer that doesn't really bring a lot of closure. It's kind of just more of like a, oh, well, you know, miscarriages happen for all sorts of reasons. It just kind of leaves you in a state of uncertainty and fear <laughs> uh, for what the future is going to kind of bring. At least for us, that's our first miscarriage when we didn't have kids yet. Um, we were like, oh, will we ever? Because those answers weren't really there. Yeah. Caleb, from a father's perspective, and I don't mean to overgeneralize men and women, but it's kind of well known that men, the way that they to handle a problem or their go-to with a problem maybe that their wife brings to them, whether it be like an, an emotional problem or just a question about how does something work or what's wrong with my car or whatever it may be, a man wants to jump and help to fix it, to solve it. I don't want to assume that that's your tendency as a husband, but whether it is or not, how do you think that kind of maybe just overgeneralized male mentality, how does that affect couples going through miscarriage and how do they have to, men, redirect their way of thinking so that they can step in and care for their wives in the way that they need it? Yeah, I mean, I think at least I'll speak for myself, my general inclination is to, if my wife is upset or crying or, you know, something like that, my general inclination is how can I make you stop crying, <laughs> right? Like, how can I make you feel better, right? So I guess that's a fix it mentality, but it is. It's like, how can I comfort you? How can I care for you? How can I make whatever the pain is go away? And in this scenario, the answer is, unfortunately, you just really can't. I think the mentality has to be, you can't fix this, nor should you. You actually just do what I think Christ actually calls us to do. You just grieve together. I think that this is also kind of one of those, the men and women parts of this is that men and women have a different process and they grieve a little differently after miscarriage. I think you kind of alluded to it on the opening introduction that a lot of the attention and care and concern goes towards the woman, which I think is very valid and very important. And that's understandably so. But I had read it somewhere after we went through this. I was kind of reading around just about it. And it really dawned on me. Someone wrote, men often are silent sufferers following miscarriage. Because you do want to make sure that the wife is okay. You want to make sure that her body is okay. 
this, this traumatic thing just happened. And it's true that the men kind of are on the, on the sidelines, but also with very real grief. And so it is kind of a silent suffering. And I think this also goes to, to men kind of pushing their grief aside because they want to tend to the needs of whether it's their spouse or, or, or the mother or whatever. They want to kind of focus their attention on that. And so I think a lot of men probably don't deal with it. They, they don't process their grief. I think it's very important that people just grieve together, especially in that relationship. You should share in the grief because you've both lost a child. That child was just as much the dad's as it was the mom's. You maybe didn't have the physical connection and bond that was had, but you're still the father. <laughs> and that child to you is still someone, you know, if you want to go with kind of men as protectors, you wanted to protect that child and you couldn't. You can't fix it, but you can grieve. I remember Kara and I, and Kara, I think, just needed to know that her grief was valid. A lot of times she would just say, like, are you sad? She would ask me that because I think she needed to hear that it's okay to be sad about this thing. Because this goes back to that the grief is different where it's like some people, the way they answer about miscarriage is, well, it wasn't really a baby or well, at least it wasn't a baby that was born. And so they kind of invalidate this loss that you have. And so I think what a lot of people need, men and women, they need to know that that grief is okay <laughs> uh, and that it's a valid thing to feel suffering and pain over. And especially now, I think, as we kind of have more conversations about what is life and such. So how has it hit you? How have you grieved in response? Has it been the same with each of your miscarriages or has it all kind of been experienced differently on your end? Yeah, they've all been drastically different. Actually, I was talking to Kara about this not terribly long ago. It's kind of strange how it does this. And this is where grief is kind of weird. It just is different in all for everyone and in every scenario. But, you know, like, yeah, I think with the first one, I was more just kind of like shocked because I had, it was such uncharted territory for me. How do you be a good husband and care for your wife and be there in her grief? And, and I don't know if I ever fully grieved that loss, but I also don't think, I think it was one of those things where I didn't really know what I had lost uh, because I hadn't had kids. Yeah, I knew that there was something to be, that there's something was lost, but I wasn't necessarily fully cognizant of like what I lost. Mm. And then after Nora, after we had our first, our first child, the grief was drastically different. You know, it was much deeper, much more painful because it is like, I, it's like, I, oh, wow, this, you know, this beautiful child, like I know what, what this is and what joy this is and what happiness this is. Uh, and that is something that was now taken from me in that way. And so the second one we grieved pretty, that was a, a, a tough one too, because we had just gotten to a new congregation. We didn't really know anyone, not all the trust was there yet, just because it's new and yet we were going through this really big thing. We're still kind of far away from family. And so we didn't really seem to have anyone to lean on in that sense. And so I think, again, Kara and I just kind of lean on each other a lot. And then the third miscarriage, that one I probably had the hardest time dealing with. That one was just really raw. That one would just wash over me. I'd find myself driving in the car and all of a sudden I'd be, my mind would take me to that place and that one just stung a lot and I have no reasons for why that is, <laughs> uh, but that's just how grief is. It's kind of just one of those mysterious things. And so they were all very different. Could be just a, numerous things that go into all this, but they've all been very different. And my mind still goes to, to those places every now and then, you know, when I think about we, but kind of when anniversaries might come up or, or what we were supposed to have 
this many kids or, or right now we're supposed to have four kids or five kids or six kids. And, and so there's always that kind of part of you that's sort of missing in the sense of your family's sort of incomplete because mm. you're missing one, you're missing two, you're missing three of your kids. <laughs> and so that grief is always there. And I think it should be. I think that because they are real people, real children, I don't actually ever want to stop grieving them because I think that takes away what they are. <laughs> and actually, we we did this thing. We, we've got some pictures in our house now of a baby being held by Jesus. And we just kind of consider those part of our family pictures um, because we don't want to ever forget about them because they are part of our family. They are our children. And I think they deserve to be known and remembered, even though we never got to hold them. So, so there's a part of me that never actually wants to stop grieving those losses. Yeah. Does your oldest know about her siblings that are with Jesus? Yeah, she does. Let's see. The first one after she was born, she was still pretty young. So she had no really idea of what was happening. But our, with our third miscarriage, she was three. And I think, you know, Kara was probably crying one day and, and she just kind of asked what's wrong. And we kind of both looked at each other like, do we tell our three-year-old this thing that happened? And we actually decided that, yeah, let's, we should tell her. And we did. And, and she didn't really have a full understanding of what happened, but she does know, especially when talking about like our grandparents who have passed away and she'll be like, oh, well, are they with our, our other babies with Jesus? And, and so we kind of have those little conversations and, uh, you know, that's kind of what we told her, like when, when my grandpa Merle passed away, you know, well, he's going to go and be with, with our babies. So she understands that there is this thing that's missing that happened. Does she understand to the extent that it was death? Probably not so much, but um, she kind of is aware. And, and I think it's okay to teach our kids about that, especially at an early age, because of what we believe about Christ and his death and resurrection. I mean, that's a very real thing. And so she's, she knows something's there or something that was lost, but not in its entirety, I'm sure. You know, she's four. So <laughs> as much as a four-year-old can understand something so kind of fast. But, you know. Yeah. Do you think that this is something that you will bear the marks of for your whole life? Is this something that you think you will be working through, quote unquote, or be grieving throughout your entire life? Or is this something that you think you eventually, you don't get over it, but you you move on? Where, where on the spectrum or does it just, do you think it'll just depend on the years? Yeah. I mean, I, 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 think, uh, I think our grief changes. Uh, it doesn't pain me. Like I don't have like the physical reactions of like crying or anything like that as much as I, I used to. And I think it's kind of like all grief time sort of makes it a little easier to deal with. I, I don't know if I necessarily would say I'll stop grieving it in in the way of, but but not necessarily grieving it in the way we expect to grieve, you know, like crying and tears and, and all those things. But I can say that it's made me long for <laughs> Christ to return far differently than it, than it used to. You know, I think it's just kind of one of those things that, yeah, like you, you move on, but I don't know if I like saying I'll move on because I don't think I want to move on from that. But it, it gets easier to deal with. And I think actually being open and talking about it and actually acknowledging it is a huge part of being able to actually say, like, this was a death and it actually helps the whole process of it. And so I, I think it's, it'll always be part of who we are as a family because it was so prevalent because we've had three because it was like every every one of our babies that we have on this side is 
what we call, you know, call rainbow baby, that kind of rainbow after the storm, right? So every one of them kind of follows this thing that happened. And so it will always probably be sort of prevalent in our lives. But yeah, you heal. I mean, I think that that's pretty normal. But to, to move on, yeah, I don't know. We're kind of in the, in, the, in the throes right now of kind of thinking about family and children and more and, and with our history of patterns, you know, every other that would suggest in our minds, I don't know if it's true or not, there's a good chance there's a miscarriage again. So right now in our life, yeah, it's obviously still pretty prevalent. I hope it's something that we can help minister to people from experience. And so I kind of hope to never stop talking about it in a weird way. <laughs> yeah. Well, and you have written quite a bit about it, with mm-hmm. Jagged Word, and I'm sure just in your personal lives, you and Kara and, and then pastorally too, mm-hmm. you have opportunity to use that to comfort and to care for other people. Now I'm really curious if if you can put on your pastor hat and you can keep your father hat on too. Yeah. But just, you know, theologically, Paul in his letters, and I'm thinking here of, of First Thessalonians, but he talks a lot about grief in the lives of Christians. As a father, as a pastor, you've talked about how you've experienced this grief. But how should the body of Christ be caring for those mourning a miscarriage? And maybe even in particular fathers who are mourning a miscarriage. Surely there are things that people have said that have been comforting and likely people have said some things that have been more harmful or or hurtful. So what would you suggest people to do and to not do as well? Yeah. Yeah. I guess I could start with kind of a story. I had preached a sermon. It was like fall, like pretty close to after our last miscarriage. And it it was about death and things like that. It was an advent and it was kind of like, during that time of year, it's about kind of the, the expected coming of Christ. And it probably wasn't like the most cheerful sermon in the world. But I just remember someone telling me, you know, like, I kind of hope you get over this grief soon so that we can be more joyful again or something like that, which I didn't love <laughs> that response. And, and I actually just think it's kind of a misunderstanding of the Christian life. And this is kind of what Paul gets at. He doesn't say, don't grieve, but be joyful. Uh, he says, grieve. But don't grieve as ones who have no hope. So there's your permission to, to grieve. So allow people to grieve. Suffering is part of the Christian life. I mean, that's just true. Jesus talks about it all the time. Paul talks about it all the time. And so don't tell people things like, well, you should just cheer up, right? Or, or it, it don't say things like, you know, well, at least, you know, it, it wasn't a baby. Don't say things like, well, there was probably something wrong with it. So it's probably better off that it miscarried, right? I mean, we've heard all of those things. And now after our first kids, right? After having kids, we heard, well, at least you have Nora and Henry. And, and, and so, so like people mean well. So this is not like a, how dare they? It's a, I actually truly don't think people know what to say. And so I think that that's sometimes it's just kind of better to say nothing, right? It's okay to just actually hear this kind of a thing and just kind of be silent, but be present. I think that's okay to do. Especially, you know, pastorally, yeah, sometimes, you know, we, we want to kind of probably try to want to kind of fix things and speak to things. But sometimes it is just better just to, goodness gracious, give someone a hug, <laughs> you know, just maybe they just need to say this news that they have and all they really want is someone to hear them. They might not want somebody to respond, right? And I think our inclination is respond, fix it, because I think it makes us uncomfortable. Grief makes us uncomfortable. Suffering makes us uncomfortable. And other people's suffering makes us uncomfortable. And I think we also just kind of have this, maybe this idea, this is kind of the theology of the cross and glory thing that 
take, we kind of learn about that the theology of glory is that, well, Christ is risen, so everything is great. Christ is risen, so all the suffering of this world, get over it because eventually there's a victory. And really the theology of the cross and, and kind of what Jesus says is, well, life is really not as it's meant to be. And it stinks. <laughs> Jesus doesn't offer necessarily a solution, but he does suffer with us. Uh, and he knows our suffering. And he experiences our suffering. And he actually joins us in it. And I think that is all we are called to do as Christians is to suffer with those who suffer. Mourn with those who mourn. <laughs> rejoice with those who rejoice. Because suffering is just part of the part of the deal. And, and everyone's going to experience suffering. Um, and to just kind of be dismissive of it in, in the name of the resurrection, I think, is actually missing the point. And so, you know, for pastors or anyone in Christian community, don't be afraid to feel uncomfortable. <laughs> don't be afraid to actually feel grief, even if it's not your grief. Uh, we should be sad when someone else in our congregation is hurting. It doesn't matter what it is, if it's miscarriage or if it's a lost job or if it's a loved one dying or, or anything like that. If the body of Christ, if uh, part of your body hurts, everything, your whole body feels it. And and so I think that's kind of, for me, it sounds very simple and, you know, and, and maybe it's not as helpful, but it is okay just to actually say, wow, that's really awful. <laughs> you know, I, and that's sometimes that's enough to, to just acknowledge that this thing is awful instead of try to hide behind something, you know, well, it's all part of God's plan. Well, I don't really like that plan. <laughs> yeah. You know, everything happens for a reason. I don't know if that's actually that helpful either. And so kind of just staying away from some of those platitudes that we utter and, and actually just sitting with that uncomfortableness is okay to do. And I think sometimes people need permission to do so, <laughs> it seems. I know that you're right about people having a tendency to want to fill in the gap of silence yeah. with talk. Yeah, very and much so. And so whether it's the silence that follows hearing bad news or during their weeping or mourning or crying, I think it's just a human tendency because you said it's it's uncomfortable. We don't like the tension that it produces in us. And so people often rush to speak or rush to hurry this along so that we don't have to feel this uncomfortability anymore. Mm -hmm. And those are words of wisdom that you've given us as, as Christians to bear each other's burdens and fulfill the law of Christ straight out of scripture and to, as you said, suffer with those who suffer, mourn with those who mourn, and then rejoice when there's times of, of joy as well. And sometimes they're all mixed in together and sometimes not as a Christian right now in the now and not yet. We live in a world that's just not right. It's, mm -hmm. it's cursed. And God has promised to return and set things all right. But Caleb, kind of in a eschatological sense, but also in a, in a very practical sense. So maybe we need to divide these questions out. I don't know. What are the promises that God has made to you as a father who has lost a baby? Yeah, I don't think you need to separate the questions at all, actually. Um, resurrection. <laughs> yeah, I think you had sent me a question about you know, has it helped my faith? Has it tested faith? And I think it all kind of goes together. And I think for me, answering this question is I actually think it's made the promises of God more real. I actually think 
they've become a reality to me instead of sort of just an abstract concept of, well, this is what the hope is someday is to go to heaven or to be raised from the dead or the new creation. For me now, it's a very real tangible thing to say one day (laughs) our pain, our grief, our sense of loss will be wiped away because Christ will raise all of those who believe from the dead. And I believe my babies are included in that. (laughs) Now I will say scripture doesn't speak to that particularly. So I kind of lean on the God of grace and love there and his call to his children who he loves and creates. But that promise of resurrection and new creation is very real. (laughs) It's very much the point. And now having experienced that grief, that is the only promise that actually brings comfort. Uh, Ultimately, that although these children have been lost, they will be raised. And I think that's all I can actually, I don't know what else would bring me comfort, (laughs) really, because that's how bad death is. They will be raised from the dead, and that's kind of all we can cling to. And knowing that God still loves us, he's shown that he has in Christ. And so I really think that that for me is kind of the big one, (laughs) Uh, is that, you will raise the dead and we will live eternally with him forever. Whatever that looks like, I don't know. Yeah. And it brings a smile to my face. Honestly, <laughs> it brings me a lot of joy uh, to think about that day. Like I said, I don't know what it looks like, but when we're all in the presence of God together, it's a beautiful thing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Come Lord Jesus. Yeah. Come quickly. Yeah. A lot of prayer has probably been said on behalf of all of the children that you've been aware of in Kara's womb and a lot of hopes, like you said, a lot of longing for the future and what it looks like for your children to turn certain ages or hit milestones or experience things together as a parent. And so parents who are praying and longing for a child so badly and then to lose a child through miscarriage or early infant death, whatever it may be, It would be a natural reaction to be shaking your fist at God. Like, why? We prayed so hard for this. Mm -hmm. You want good for us. At least I think you do, God. (laughs) Is it possible for us to confuse the promises that God has given us, as in the timing of things might be off while the promise is still there? The promises about that child or about us as God's created people who he loves still holds true. Have you shaken your fist at God for taking your children away before they've been born and had their breath? And then how does God answer the why question? Yeah, I I know Kara and I, we we kind of were angry and confused. I'm not sure why. And so we've done that. We've kind of asked the the question of why would this happen to us? Why, Why is it so hard for us to have kids, you know? Why have we lost three? Um, you know, in our minds, in our plans, it's, it was like, let's have four kids by the, by the time we're 30, 32, right? That's obviously hasn't been the, the plan, hasn't how, it's, how it's gone. And so you sort of wonder why this has happened. Why have children been so hard to come by? Why, why have they died? Does God give an answer to the question? I don't think so. <laughs> It is unfortunately part of the reality of living in a world where things are just truly, sin is as bad as it is. But he has pointed us to Christ. And so while he doesn't say why, I think this kind of comes into the whole idea of 
we can't measure God's love for us based on what he's given or taken away from us. At times it could seem like, oh, well, God clearly doesn't love me because I've lost three children. But that's not where God shows his love. He does. He shows his love in Christ on the cross, in the resurrection. That's where we're pointed to look. And I don't know if there's a why, and I could be wrong. But for me, there doesn't seem to be a why. And that's kind of, the I think, the hidden knowledge of God. The why is not revealed to us. And I think it could be very easy to fall into saying, well, either there is no God or God doesn't love me or he's not a God of love. If we try to find that answer to maybe something that's been left unsaid, but Christ is still hanging there on the cross waiting for you to kind of look at him. (laughs) That is what the emphasis always has to be. I know it's kind of cliche, especially for Lutheran circles, but it is truly all about Jesus and him crucified and resurrected. And that is the only place that you can actually find some sort of answer to, does God love me? Yes. (laughs) How do you know? Well, I can't find it in these things, but I can find it in Christ. And he affirms that there and in the resurrection. So I don't know if he has given a why. And I think at this point, having processed it all, I actually don't need it. Mm. And that's where the promise of resurrection it all kind of comes full circle. We live in this tension of now and not yet, as you kind of alluded to. And yep, back to the, it's kind of uncomfortable, but someday it will be fulfilled. Then what is the gospel? It's kind of the hymn. I don't know the hymn off the top of my head, but it's the line, Christ is arisen and we shall arise. And I think that's the gospel. Yeah, I think that's the gospel especially when dealing with something like death. Caleb, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. And, you know, I've been one, I just kind of want to say this, uh, that has been blessed with children after miscarriage. And I also know that that's not always the case. And there are some who never receive the blessing of children. And that's probably an entirely different conversation. And I hope one that maybe can be had in the future as well. But No, thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you. We do have an episode specifically for that with guest Katie Shorman, and hopefully in the future we will be able to revisit that further for our listeners too. Yeah. God's blessings to you and your family and to Kara. Yeah, thank you very much. And thank you so much to our listeners for tuning in. If you liked what you heard, please leave us a review. And don't forget to click the follow or subscribe button so you don't miss out on upcoming episodes. New episodes drop twice each month. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram as Friends for Life, LCMS. And finally, listeners, we want to hear from you. Do you have an idea about a guest you'd like to hear from or a topic you want talked about? Email us at friendsforlife at lcms.org. We want to hear from you about what you want to hear about when it comes to issues of life. Thanks for joining us. Friends for Life is a podcast that introduces listeners to life issues by introducing them to friends who stand for life. Thank you.